0: Now, if you uh, have been at EBF for a while, you're going to notice something very unique about our church that I don't think you'll see in a lot of other churches. The unique feature of our church is that we train future leaders, uh, future missionaries, uh, just uh, church lay leaders and elders and deacons. We train church planners, pastors, preachers, worship leaders. And like I've said many times before, we're kind of like a teaching hospital. We're a, a teaching and training church where we enable to have uh, these people that come through our, our way to have on-the-job experiences. And one way we do this is we allow other men to preach here on Sunday morning. And this morning, our preacher is going to be Andy Hudson. Andy graduated from Columbus State University in Georgia, and he is currently finishing up his master. Masters in clarinet performance and literature at Northwestern Andy currently serves as our intern of worship and arts he is married to Brittany she is a wonderful servant of the Lord and the Lord has great things in store for Andy if you ever met him uh, you know that he is one of the most encouraging guys you could possibly meet he is young he's only 22 years old uh, and he is uh, shows great maturity for his age. He's a a joy to be around. And Andy, come on up here and bring us the word, bro.
1: Thanks, Jason. Good morning. Before we start, I just want to say that I love this church. I love the staff. I love the elders and I love all of you. I'm so excited this morning to get to bring the word of God to you. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, this morning we ask that you move mightily. Lord, we ask that we would be a people that would stand with arms high and heart abandoned, that we'd be faithful with what you've given us, Lord, that we would love what you love. Pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Would you open your Bibles with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 25. We're going to start in verse 14. starting in verse 14 through verse 30. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. I was afraid. So I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. The master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sowed, and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. Then at least I might have my money back with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I remember the first time my wife and I were asked to house-sit for some friends. Um, they were heading out west for a little while, and so we agreed to hang out at their place and make sure it didn't burn down and feed their animals. And we had a really great time. It's nice if you're like me and you live in a drafty Evanston apartment. Uh, it's nice once in a while to play house, sort of, and you know, cook your meals and, and to, to not have to layer up. Um, I also remember that our last night there, Brittany was preparing for our departure. So she did the laundry, and she did the dishes, and she made sure that the animals were walked and fed, and she made sure the house was clean. I somehow had forgotten that this couple was coming back the next morning, so I still had my stuff strewn about. My clothes were everywhere, my instruments, if you know me, they were scattered all over the house, all sorts of weird things. Um, And when I awoke the next morning and I saw the woman we were house-sitting for, sitting in the kitchen, drinking coffee, I was horrified. (laughs) What had I been doing while you were away? My stuff was everywhere. My wife had been hard at work preparing for their return, and I had forgotten how soon they were coming back, and I wasn't quite ready for their seemingly sudden arrival. Similarly, we must be ready for the imminent return of Jesus Christ by being faithful with what he's entrusted to us. We must be faithful with what he's entrusted us to be ready for his imminent return. Now, what I want us to do today is to ask just a few simple questions about the text, and let's just look at our lives and see, are we ready for the imminent return of our master? Are we ready for the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ? I want us to be sure, first off, that we know the character of our master, that we know what our master is like. Then I want us to see, are we working hard with what he's given us? Are we working according to our abilities? And above all, I want to make sure that we don't get to the end of our time here on earth and throw our hands in the air and say, you know what? I wasted it. I wasted my life. But you guys know me. As Jason said, I'm an intern for worship and arts, and I really like film, so we're going to set the scene, right? Yeah, okay. Jesus is midway through the Olivet Discourse here, right? And remember, Olivet Discourse is the big word for he's sitting on the Mount of Olives and he's talking to his friends, the disciples, They've been chatting for a while, and if you've been here the last few weeks, you know we've been studying this text for a while. I know it's been a lot, it's a very challenging text, but hang with me, okay? We're, we're not going to be here that much longer, we're going to keep moving, but what Jesus does here is he records two parables. Maybe there were more, I don't know. Matthew records two. He records the parable of the ten virgins, we heard last week, and he records here the parable of the talents. Now, maybe you're like me, and every time you were growing up in Sunday school, and the parable of the talents came up, and the flannel graph came out, right, and they put these guys up there, um, and the, the teacher says, these guys got talents, you're thinking, okay, so like archery, and basket weaving, and slam poetry, right, I don't know, uh, maybe he got checkers, uh, and I hope that made for really curious theological assumptions in my youth, um. But Jesus here is talking about a talent in a different sense, right? The talent that Jesus is talking about is a monetary sum. It's about 20 years' wages. So, a lot of money, right? For some of you, Evanstonites all decked out in your PhDs and hoods and robes. It's a lot of money, right? Some of the students are like, 20 years, I might be able to get a milkshake. Uh, I don't know. But the big idea here is that talents are valuable, and that even to have one would be valuable, right? It would be 20 years' wages. Even one would be valuable. But I, if you're like me, sometimes you read the Bible and it can be hard to understand what Jesus says. So I went ahead and did some homework, and the, the median annual income for a family in Evanston, Illinois, is $69,303. Right? $69,303. That's a year. So if we do a little math, and 20 years' wages would be almost a million and a half, right? So that seems respectable to me, certainly. Um, so one talent is 1.4 million, which means that the first servant who got five talents gets like $7 million, right? A lot of money. And the second, second servant gets almost $3 million. And the third servant, 1.4 million. So not too shabby, right? Any of us would say that's, that's a lot of money. And if you wouldn't say that's a lot of money, have me over for dinner. But this this is deeper than money, though, right? Keep in mind as we break down this passage that for the church today, talents can be any number of things, right? Large or small that we've been given. So maybe think of your job, right? Or think of your family. Or maybe think of your time. Maybe you're well-educated. Think of your education. What have you been given? But maybe, maybe think of the things that aren't so pretty, right? Think of your suffering and your, your pain. Um, and sure, think about your money. We've each been given unique things for stewardship, right? Stewardship meaning that we take care of something that doesn't belong to us, and we cultivate it, and we're maybe going to give it back, right? Stewardship is caring for someone else's property. Now, it's interesting to note here that the disciples don't know this, but Jesus does, that the way Matthew records it, this is their final story time. Now, of course, they they don't realize that, but if you flip even a page forward or if you swipe forward if you're on the phone... um, the headlines start to get grim, right? Betrayed, crucified, the plot to kill Jesus, denied by his friends. So this is the last parable that Matthew records, and then things are going to go real bad for Jesus, right? Really bad. And so I think that we as his servants today could say, you know what, there's probably some value here for us if this is the last parable Jesus told his friends. So what we have here is a gloriously simple and yet immensely complex and layered tale of a master who goes on a journey and his three servants. So a man is going on a journey, right? And it's going to be a long journey. It doesn't seem like a weekend in this city. And he calls his servants to himself and he entrusts to them his property. Now, servants in this day had a lot of responsibility, right? They, they would often do business in the place of their master. They would care for their stuff. It isn't the servant like you're thinking, um, bring me another beverage by the pool on the Gold Coast, right? This isn't um, like a North Shore servant. These are servants that are going to work in his place, right? And so servants in this day are put in charge of assets, right? When a master's away, the servants are going to take care. It's almost like they're high-level employees, right? So maybe... Maybe you have somebody who invests your money for you. This is kind of like that. So these guys are going to take this money so that business might continue as usual. And I think the idea here, the implication here, is that the money is going to grow while he's gone. The master is clearly very wealthy. I mean, he handed out tons of money like it was nothing. He's like, here, have this. So I think the idea here is that the master is investing in his servants, right? He's investing in his servants. And the master gets out of town. He leaves them some capital, and he takes off, right? Trusting that his servants will be hard at work in his absence. So the five-talent guy, right? Scripture says he at once went and made five talents more. Now remember, a talent's 20 years wages, and this is five of those. So I don't think he like played the scratch-off, you know, Jerusalem, whatever, Powerball, And made the money. I think that he I think he got to work and I think at once here talks about the urgency with which he got to work, not the speed with which he made the money, right? So I think this guy, it probably took him a while, right? I think maybe he built a business. Maybe he took the talents to Wall Street. Maybe he got into a joint venture, right? Maybe this is why he got five talents. Because he's the kind of guy gets to work, doesn't waste any time. But the interesting thing here is that Scripture says the servant who was given two talents did likewise, right? He gets to work as well. Maybe he's an entrepreneurial type like some of you, right? But anyway, he gets to work, and he makes an 100% return as well, right? So two guys, tons of money, 100% return. Somebody from Kellogg say, amen, right? Okay. <laughs> But then there's the one talent guy, right? And what does he do? He digs a hole, and he buries the money, covers it up. And this way, he's sure, fair enough, he's sure that he will return at least one talent to his master, right? But I bet that's not what he's thinking. I bet he's not thinking, I really want to be faithful, so I'm going to make sure I have this by burying it. No, I think, I submit to you, he does this so that he can keep living life like he's living it, right? The master's given him something to deal with, but he'd rather keep moving and pursue his own selfish lusts. He would rather keep doing life like he is. And you got to think for the disciples who are hearing this story, it's all kind of roses and rainbows and butterflies, and everyone has money and they're all being faithful, and then it's like, boom, except this guy. I I think it's kind of jarring, right? And I, I just wonder, right, we just wonder, like, What is this guy thinking? What is wrong with him? This master clearly trusts him. What is he thinking? Well, we don't have to wonder for very long, right? Because, boom, the master's back from his long journey, right? He comes back suddenly at a time that they're not expecting him. The master returns, and he's stoked, right? He wants to settle accounts with his servants, he has full faith that they're going to have been faithful in his absence. So they, they do their thing, right? The five-talent guy says, I made you five more. Master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, and I'm going to set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And next at the plate is the two-talent guy. He says, I got four. You know, Maybe he's a little nervous because he's thinking that guy has 10 and that's a lot, but he gets the same response. In fact, if you look at your Bible, you're going to see every comma in the same place, right? He gets the same response from the master, verbatim, every word in the same spot. And you've got to think here, these guys are faithful. I can't wait. The master must be thinking, I'm going to get even more return from my third servant. I only gave him one talent, but I trusted him. And these guys are going to be put over much, right? The first two. And the third guy, he's thinking, I'm going to put him over much. So the master must be stoked. But here is where things get jacked up, right? So let's say, let's say that we're drinking coffee together and we strike up a conversation. And somehow I mention, I have a beautiful wife, right? I have a beautiful wife. Let's say I, I say that to you across the table at Brothers K. And you say to me, tell me about her. And I say, no, that's all right. That's cool. You, so you're thinking maybe I'm shy. So you ask a specific question. Maybe you ask, um, what does she look like? And I say, she, um, she has hair and she has teeth, um, mostly. We're from Georgia, after all. Um, <laughs> just kidding. I love Georgia. Um, right? And so you're like, okay, this is weird. But you're like, okay, well, um, what does she do for a living? Oh, She works. you're like, okay, that's weird. You say, um, what's what's her favorite movie? And I say, I I don't know. So at some point, right, you're going to think this is fake and he doesn't have a wife. And if he does, he's not going to have one for long, right? (laughs) But it's going to seem suspicious to you that I'm saying I'm married, but I don't seem to know anything about her. That seems weird, doesn't it? That's just weird. But don't you remember what happened in verse 24? When the third servant hands over his single talent, and the master's not happy, right? He knows he's not going to be happy. He's been a servant for this guy long enough that he was trusted with some finances. The servant says the following about his master. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you didn't scatter any seed. That makes the master sound like a pretty bad dude, Right? like a character assassination to his face right there. The master says, fine, I'll play along. Okay, I'll play ball. The master answers him in verse 26. You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and you knew that I gather where I've scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money at least, right? I might have some interest. The master's not happy, right? And he throws it back in his face. We, see, we've seen the master thus far, right? We observed him in the story, right? He's generous. He trusts his servants, right? He gives graciously. He's a guy who handed out 100 years' wages and says, I'm going to give you more, right? He's clearly not this kind of guy. And the master's not agreeing to the charges, right? He's playing by, by his servants' rules. He says, fine. Let's assume that you're right about me. You should have at least made some interest, But you didn't, right? the master says, you know what? You knew this, and you didn't make any interest? Get out. You're done. Out. There's this place you're going. It has weeping and gnashing of teeth. But not only does the servant accuse the master of being harsh, right? He blames the master for the reason he didn't turn a spiritual prophet. The servant is blame-shifting, just like Adam did in the Garden of Eden, right? No, it's my wife. No, no, it's her. no. actually it's your fault, right? That's what he's doing. Because he doesn't understand anything about the master. He doesn't know anything about him. And it is essential, church, that we know the character of our master. Some of you come from backgrounds, or maybe you were taught that God is this evil tyrant who has a magnifying glass, and we're like ants, and he's going to pop us, right? It's coming. Or maybe you were taught that God only loves certain kinds of people who look really, really clean, right? Or maybe you were taught that you're too you're too evil for God. You missed your chance. You've done too much wrong. And think think about our culture. What do they say about Jesus, right? He's like some hippie shaman in a dress, right? He like writes fortune cookie sayings. That's all we hear about him. That's not Jesus. And that's not God, right? It's not. It's never been God it's never been Jesus. The truth is, God is a gracious and loving and merciful Father who trusts His servants, who loves His servants, who loved us, you and I and your friends, enough to send His Son, Jesus Christ, to earth on a rescue mission. He loved you so much that He sent Christ so that we don't have to pay. For our wickedness, right? Because we can be accepted. And he did that, not only so you can know facts about your master, but so you can know the master. So you can have a relationship with the master. So you can bridge that gap in your heart. So that you can be reconciled to God. Jesus came and paid for our sin. He came as both fully God and fully man and lived a perfect life and took our punishment for sin on the cross in our place. And now he's reigning at the right hand of God the Father in heaven and one day he's coming back. Right? And when he comes back, he's going to right the wrongs. He's going to set the scales to right. He's going to wipe away our tears. And he's going to take us home. He's going to take us home. And you need to know about that master. Some of you are so confused. But that's not what it's like. Don't be like the third servant here who didn't know his master. He misjudges his master's intent, and thus he wastes his time while the master is away. He wasn't even faithful with the little bit he was entrusted with, and everything he had is taken away. Everything he had is taken away. And his gross misunderstanding about his master leads to his eventual destruction. His gross misunderstanding of his master led to his destruction. This is varsity stuff, church. This is serious. And you know what happens? Much like another servant that we see in the Bible, Judas Iscariot, who looks like a disciple and walks like a disciple and prays like a disciple and talks like a disciple, we find out, right, Judas is not a disciple, He sells out Jesus for a little extra spending money. And that's what we see here. This guy, this servant, looked the part, didn't he? Didn't he walk the walk? Didn't he talk the talk? Didn't he seem like he was a servant like his other two friends? He was a wolf in sheep's clothing. He was cast out into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. some of you guys, you're like, what does that mean? Weeping and gnashing of teeth. You're like ready to walk out the door right now. You know what I'm about to say. You're like, Andy, this is a little bit archaic, right? Doesn't that sound sound prehistoric? I'm going to tell you what it means, all right? Just as the third servant chose to reject his master in the present, the master lets the servant have what he wants, right? All that servant wants is to be separated from the master, right? And the master says, fine, fine, fine. Practically, what this means is that those who choose a Christless present will destin themselves to a Christless eternity, right? Those who reject Christ now will get exactly what they want in eternity, right? They're going to be separated from their master. Only it's not going to look so good then. It's just not. But the truth is that hell, as unpopular as it is, is a reality. I understand it's hard to swallow. I understand you wrestle with it. I understand it's challenging. But know this. Some of you guys say things like, I like Jesus, but I don't like the whole hell thing. Jesus talks about hell more than anyone in the Bible. And I think he does it because he loves you more than anyone you could imagine. It's like serious stuff to him. Because it's real. Hell is the reality of eternal conscious torment separated from God, separated from Christ. And the truth is Christ is coming back. And when he comes back, he wants to take us with him because he loves you. He loved you before you had time to reject him. He loved you then. He's going to come back, and we're going to make an account, right, for how we were faithful in his absence, because he is an infinitely loving, but he is a just God. Somebody's going to have to pay for the sin, right? And Christ says, I'll do it. I'll do it. Just turn and repent and walk in newness of life. But if he doesn't, someone's got to pay, right? And it'll be us if we reject Christ. It'll be us. So the wicked servant gets what he wants, separation from his master and the proof positive that he was not a servant in the first place. But before we get all doom and gloom, there are some of you that are not like the wicked servant, right? Some of you guys are incredibly faithful. EBF is a church filled with people who are diligently working, who are Fervently waiting for the return of their master, who are not wasting their time, who've been given all amounts of things and are working hard with them to bring glory to God. And we are called as Christians to be Jesus, like, with skin on, right? Like his hands and feet while he's gone, right? To love, to serve, to share. But some of us have a hard time being who we're designed to be, right? After all, I mean, emulation is how we learn. I remember learning how to ride a bike. My dad rode, I rode, I fell. My dad rode again, I watched him. Okay, he didn't, I, I tried it again. Right, we learn how to speak. Some of you have young kids and you're, you're talking to them. Maybe you're talking to them in like four languages. I don't know. That's an Evanston thing I'm discovering. But some of us, right, we, we learn by emulation. We learn by following after someone else. And some of you guys haven't gotten out of that. Some of you guys look around and you're like, if I'm not him, I'm worthless. Or if I'm not her, I can't do it. Or if I'm not married like them. If I don't have kids like my friends. All my high school friends have houses. I live in this cold apartment. Some of you guys say, I don't have that promotion. Basically, you're saying, because I'm not an arm, I'm not, not useful. But you've got to notice here that each servant is given a different amount. They're given different things. They're each given something according to their ability. Remember from earlier that, that talents for us can be anything, right? They can be anything. Anything we've been given. They can be anything. And we've each been given different things. Just think about This church, think about how we serve. Think about the volunteers who come in way before any of us get here and set all this up. And then we leave and forget about it and they take it all down. Different people. Think about the different gifts we're given. Each servant here receives something according to their ability and they work with it, right? They work with it. Wherever you are, no matter where you wish you were, wherever you are, try to be there. Try to live with how you're made. And these two servants, the first two, the five-talent servant and the two-talent servant, are faithful with what they've been given. Let's look at how they do that. So the first servant gets to work right away. We saw that he he's like on Wall Street investing his money, doesn't waste any time. And I think that that the vigor with which he works, the urgency with which he works, indicates the anticipation he has for the master's return. I think that the urgency with which he gets to work indicates he's anticipating his master's return. Right? He doesn't waste any time. He gets busy. He says, you know what? I've been given this huge amount, and I'm going I'm to turn it around right now. I'm going to invest it. And it's going to take a while. Maybe there's going to be some ups and downs, but I'm going to turn a profit. Right? The immediacy with which he works should encourage us. Some of you have been given tremendous blessing by God. Some of you make a lot of money. Some of you have beautiful homes, right? Some of you have rich families. Not rich monetarily, but rich in a spiritual, thriving sense. Some of you guys have been given so much. And you should look at this and say, I can't wait to use it. I can't wait to turn a spiritual profit with what God has given me. And I see it in this church, right? I must get 500 offers a Sunday to do my laundry at somebody's house, right? Everyone says, come do your laundry, and I'll cook you a meal. Absolutely. right? I'm booked through 2015, okay? <laughs> but, but that's just an example. It seems so small, but to me it's huge. Because I don't have a washer and dryer, and I bet a bunch of you don't. If you need someone to refer to, talk to me after the service. But that's an example of not wasting our time, but saying, I'm going to get to work with what I've been given. So, okay, we see the first servant works urgently. What do we see about the second servant? I think, I think what we see is he works humbly. Here's why I say that. Scripture says, so also he who'd been given two talents made two talents more. But, but remember that the servants were all gathered at the same time, right? So two servant guys stand in here, and he's watching five, servant guy, five talent guy get a lot more money than him, right? He says, that guy got like, well, maybe he's not a great counter, but maybe he's like, two and, a half to- two and a half times what I got. And you know what he could say? He could be like the first servant, right? Well, I don't have very much, so I'm, just, I'm, I'm not going to work with this. But we don't see that, do we? We see a servant work humbly, who says, the master has given me enough. He's given me enough. He's given me plenty because I didn't have any of this before. It doesn't belong to me. But he gave me something and I'm going to work with it humbly and I'm going to work hard and I'm not going to be swallowed up in the desire that I should have what someone else has. He gets to work with what he has, he works humbly, and he works faithfully. But like we said earlier, sometimes we're given things that are hard, right? Some of you guys have had real deep pain. Some of you guys feel it like in your bones, like when is Christ coming back? I feel that too, all right? I feel that. I'm reminded of a story of a Texas pastor who on Thanksgiving morning had a seizure collapsed in front of his family, and they rushed him to the hospital, of course. This guy had a beautiful family, thriving church, growing in the Dallas Metroplex, and they did some scans and said, maybe two years, maybe you have two years, maybe. Guy's 33, 34. They said, yeah, it's cancer. There's no way you could have saw it coming. It's the kind of thing that you can't even pronounce, and so you know it's really bad. That's what happened, right? Out of nowhere. Boom. Everything changes. But but get this, right? So you better believe, high-profile pastor, every news outlet comes running, and they all ask the same question. Where was God when you found out you had cancer and you're going to die? You know what he says? You know what he says? I I couldn't believe it. He says it so many times. He says, I count myself fortunate that God has trusted me to suffer well. And I, my dream is to suffer well so that those who are watching me suffer will see that I think God is good. He said, I didn't want the cancer. I didn't want the pain. Some of you didn't want to be unemployed. But you are. And this pastor said, I'm not going to waste it. I want to suffer well. So as you suffer, suffer well. Talk about humility. Could you imagine? So we're, we're challenged, right? That the humility of the second servant and the fervency of the first servant. And we should be alarmed by the foolishness and the wickedness of the third servant. This servant, who wasn't given a lot, and a lot probably wouldn't have been expected of him, just make a, little, make a little effort, but he buried his talent in the sand so he could go about his own business. And how many times do we, do I, do that? Do I bury in the sand what God has given me so I can pursue my own selfish lusts? Let me just talk to the men for a second, ladies' earmuffs. Men? Some of you guys don't do this, but I bet a lot of you do this, right? We've we've been given things. We've been called, right? We've been called to serve our church, to grow as Christians, to be vulnerable with our wives, to be there for our children, right? To work hard. And some of you guys are missing it. You spend hours in front of your fantasy league, right? Or in front of your video game or in front of the TV. Not that any of those things are bad in moderation. Not that that is bad. But that you trade what you've been called to do for, for the simple pleasures and lusts of this life. And then we've got to rise up. And then we've got to get busy loving our wives, Young guys, you gotta get busy pursuing God, right? We gotta step away from the computer screen in the middle of the night, right? We gotta rise up. Because we don't wanna waste our manhood, right? We don't wanna abdicate our responsibilities for another lazy day. So, men, I wanna see you. Rise up in this church. I want to see you serving and setting up and leading worship and rocking babies in the nursery. Single guys, that might be really good. That might work out for you, right? (laughs) Ladies say amen. All right. Okay. But some of you guys are saying, Andy, you know what? I work a one-talent job. Some of you guys, no joke, you're like, would you like fries with that? And that's your life, day in and day out. Some of you guys are like, hey, one-talent people, I don't have a job. I have like 400 degrees, right? Some of you guys say, how am I going to use this? But I'm here to tell you that whatever situation you're in, I've, I've worked at Starbucks, okay? I know, I know the humdrum, day in, day out feeling. I know what that's like. I know it's not fun. I know that. But I'm telling you, wherever you're at, look for ways to turn that spiritual profit, right? My father was unemployed for a number of years, and you know what he did with the time? He spent it with us, and it meant the world to me. It meant the world to me. So those of you who are thinking, I don't have anything to do, yes, you do. Get to work. I'm here to tell you the kingdom of God needs all kinds of people. Right? Some of you guys are business people, and you say, I don't fit in at church. <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm not a pastor. I'm telling you, the kingdom of God needs all kinds of people. Right? Because think about it. When we leave this great city of Chicago, and we go to the great city of heaven, pastors are out of a job, right? Nobody else to preach to. We're done. I'll be playing, I don't know, mandolin or something. I'm not going to get to preach. But you know what? We're going to need the artists and the businessmen and the CEOs and the investment bankers. We're going to need all of them. And some of you guys are going to be teaching pastors who are out of a job, right? You only get one shot at this life. So I know you have like a laundry list of reasons that you think you can waste it. But I'm telling you, don't waste it. Don't waste your life. Don't get there. There are so many people to love. There are so many people to serve. We don't want to be found to be a wicked servant. We want to hear desperately, well done, good and faithful church. That's what we want to hear. And I know that I have been the wicked servant. The American dream drives our lives. Think about your iPhone. Some of you guys have an iPhone that talks to you now because you couldn't make the long journey to the screen. (laughs) It's just unbelievable. Comfort is our God, and we've wasted our lives in triviality and triteness and pleasure, and there's nothing wrong with pleasure, but find it in the right place. And just a quick word. Some of you guys, right now, some of you guys are thinking, I got this sermon on lockdown. You're thinking, don't you know how hard I work? Don't you know how impressed God is with how hard I work? Don't you know that I've earned my position? I've earned my salvation? But I submit to you, some of you guys have wasted your lives not by being lazy and licentiously living, but by being very, very good. Some of you guys have wasted your lives by being very, very good. Some of you guys think, I've worked so hard. I'm no dummy. God is pleased with me. I've I've earned my salvation. My good works lead the way for me to heaven. It doesn't mean anything. There's one good work that gets you into heaven, and it's the good work that Jesus Christ did on the cross, in your place, for your sin. And we obey, as Christians, we obey from our acceptance in Jesus, not for our acceptance in Jesus. We obey from our acceptance. We obey out of the joyful overflow of our acceptance, not for it, not for it. We cannot earn it, we cannot earn it. So here's, here's what I want for us as a church. I want for EBF to be a congregation intimately aware of the character of our master. I want us to be a church that interacts with our master in such a way that we are blown away by his goodness and justice and faithfulness. I want us to be a church that works hard with what we've been given, that we turn spiritual profits everywhere we look, that we look at our lives and say, I have so much, that I am spiritually bankrupt before a holy God, and I'm only in charge of what he's given me, and I'm going to give it back to him. And most of all, I want us to be a church with a glorious, God-sized vision for our lives. We need a new vision for our lives. We need Christ to be our perfect vision. That's why we sing a song like, Be Thou My Vision, so that he will lead us home, so that Christ is the focus of everything we do in our personal lives, in our spiritual lives, in our family, at school, in our businesses. We need a God-sized vision. Remember how valuable what you've been given is. And don't waste it. Don't waste it. Take the chance to dive deep into what God has for you. He has so much more for you than you've ever dared to dream. He has so much for us as his people. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the faithfulness of Evanston Bible Fellowship. I thank you that there are men and women in this church who set a wonderful example for young people like me of walking in faithfulness, of loving your word, of serving those around us. God, we celebrate that you've seen fit to raise up men and women in this church to be examples for those of us who are young, those of us who are spiritually young. But, Lord, I pray that we would be a church where every man and woman is so intrinsically linked to what you have for us, that we are so busy about our Father's business, that we are being so faithful with what you've given us, that when you come back, suddenly we turn over what we've been doing in your absence. We show you our faithfulness that we have done out of the overflow of our joy. So, Lord, I pray now that Jesus Christ would be our glorious vision for Evanston Bible Fellowship that you would be our inheritance both now and always in eternity when we live in heaven and we don't even need the sun because Christ is the light. Lord, we love you. We are thankful for you. In Christ's name, amen.